Good mornings, I'm Chris Oaks, and coming up, Ohio's legislative redistricting maps have been approved, but not without controversy. Representative John Cross, who will no longer represent Hancock County when the new map takes effect, offers his take on the changes. Also this morning, Dr. Bill Coase answers questions on the mixed messages about vaccine boosters driving further COVID confusion. There's a change of plans in this year's Findlay Race for the Cure. We'll speak once again to the folks at Susan G. Komen of Northwest Ohio. And after spending much of the past year in our PJs, it's time to get dressed again. I'll tell you how to easily update your wardrobe with the hottest fashions for fall. This is the Good Mornings Podcast Edition for Monday, September 20th, 2021. So throughout the uh, past year and a half since the pandemic began, there have been unexpected uh, businesses, hobbies, and more that have been boosted as people find new ways to pass the time, right? Well, one business that has benefited from the pandemic, Barnes & Noble, uh, book sales have been way up over the past year to 18 months. Barnes & Noble has had double-digit sales growth in books this year compared to 2019 before the pandemic began. And even more surprisingly, teenagers and tweens have uh, really been driving this increase in book sales. Uh, Sales of graphic novels up by as much as 500% at some of the chain stores. Market research company NPD Group says that U.S. sales of books are up 12% overall so far this year through August industry-wide, not just at Barnes & Noble, but industry-wide compared to the same period a year ago and up 20% from 2019. CEO of Barnes & Noble, James Daunt, tells the New York Post, double-digit growth in books has not happened since Amazon came along. So in how many years has that been? What remains to be seen is what happens once The pandemic is officially over, with book publishing consultant Jane Friedman telling The Post, everyone is wondering whether this is a permanent shift or how long it will stick, but right now, most every category is up, and they're enjoying it while it lasts. Again, just another one of those examples of the way the pandemic has changed things in America. Interesting. Uh, what else is, uh, is going on in the world among the uh, most interesting and buzzworthy stories? I saw this, uh, on the business wire this morning. Apparently minivans are poised to make a comeback. Uh, just like station wagons before them, minivans had their heyday and now generally are considered sort of, I don't know, that is like a past you know been there done that don't want to do it again kind of thing right for a lot of folks they're kind of derided they're just minivans but it was the really the uh, sport utility vehicle that uh, killed off the popularity of minivans currently there are only four manufacturers that make minivans Uh, chrysler the only domestic nameplate kia honda and toyota are the other three But they are trying a different approach again to boost the popularity of minivans, which are now being called multi-purpose vehicles. They don't call them minivans anymore. They're multi-purpose vehicles. 
And uh, they're getting a sleeker, more stylish look, including such uh, bells and whistles like uh, leather captain's chairs, refrigerators, 20-inch wheels, the latest safety technology, of course, and big screen TVs or big screen monitors, I guess not TVs, big screen monitors. The senior editor of Car and Driver, Ezra Dreyer, says he and his wife were convinced to switch to a minivan by the Chrysler Pacifica. And if this is the senior editor of Car and Driver magazine, that's uh, quite a vote of confidence for the modern minivan. He tells ABC News that he thinks the shortage of Pacificas in showrooms may be a sign minivans are experiencing a comeback. Or it could be that they just haven't been able to make them like they haven't been able to make anything else. But anyway, he uh, says minivans are undercover cool. They There could be a bigger future for minivans than there is now. So make of that what you will. But I thought it was uh, kind of interesting. By the way, speaking of driving, do you use Google Maps when you drive, when you go someplace, especially someplace new? I find myself using Google Maps more and more, even to get to places that I know where I'm going, simply because... It can tell me if there's uh, traffic or um, speed traps or you know any of those other sorts of road hazards that you need to be need to be aware of. If you have if you're a regular user of Google Maps, you are familiar with the voice on the app that gives you your directions. Well, lately, this is one of those interesting and buzzworthy stories. Lately, people have been freaked out that that voice has changed. Confused users have taken to social media to uh, complain, or if not complain, at least inquire about the mysterious voice that has been dubbed the ghost of Google Maps. (laughs) Uh, One person uh, wrote, on my trip home today, it was mostly the standard woman's voice on Google Maps, and then suddenly for one single instruction... Google Maps talked in what sounded like a deep man's voice with a slight Indian accent. (laughs) I know it sounds crazy. Uh, But uh, this person later on said uh, it happened a second time to him as well. And a lot of people confirmed that it had happened to them as well. One person pointed out that they couldn't even find a man's voice as an option in the catalog of voices for Google Maps or the Google Assistant. So, the ghost of Google Maps. Has it happened to you? I I uh, have not had that happen to me, but I'll keep an ear out and report back if it, uh, if it does happen. I don't know that it's anything to worry about necessarily, the ghost of Google Maps, but it's interesting nonetheless. We always do have to have something to worry about, and this morning we actually have two somethings to worry about. Number one, the hole that appears in the Earth's atmosphere each year is apparently larger than usual in 2020. The protective layer is depleted when solar energy interacts with the byproducts of chemicals that linger in the atmosphere. And every year, this causes an ozone hole to form over the South Pole between August and October. The size of the hole is strongly dependent on weather conditions, it says here. Colder conditions last year correlated with one of the largest ozone holes on records, while uh, uh, 2019's hole was the smallest. This year's hole has grown considerably over the past few days, according to the European Union's Copernicus Atmosphere Monitoring Service. 
As of Thursday, the hole covered an area of around 8.8 million square miles. And in uh, years with normal weather conditions, it typically grows to a maximum area of about 8 million square miles. So about 10% bigger than normal. Experts say that despite these natural fluctuations, they do expect the hole to close permanently by 2050 in response to restrictions on ozone-depleting chemicals uh, that were introduced in 1987. Dr. Vincent-Henri Pooch. I think it's how you pronounce it. Head of the Copernicus Atmosphere Monitoring Service says forecasts show that this year's hole has evolved into a rather larger than usual one. We are looking at quite a big and potentially deep ozone hole. So we definitely need to be concerned about that. We have a larger hole in the ozone layer than normal. But at least it's over the South Pole. It's not going to be over us. Don't have to worry about that part of it. And if that's not enough to worry about, how about this? A new report says carnivorous cannibalistic hammerhead worms are making the rounds in lawns in North America. <laughs> We've got a larger than usual hole in the ozone layer, and now we have carnivorous cannibalistic hammerhead worms. Making the rounds in lawns in North America. Welcome to Monday. Um, the Alabama Cooperative Extension System report published Thursday says the worm has a head similar, similar to a hammerhead shark. It is in, an invasive species from tropical regions that has somehow made it into the United States, mostly in the South. So it's not something that we need to worry about just yet, but it's out there. And it's in this country, and it's coming. The carnivorous cannibalistic hammerhead worms. Auburn University entomologist Caitlin Keshimer says the hammerheads eat earthworms, which is not such a good thing since earthworms enrich the soil. She also says hammerheads do have predators such as amphibians, which feed on them and keep their population in check. But they are still concerned. Ms. Keshimer says uh, they are usually out in the grass after a rain. She recommends not touching the hammerheads because they produce a toxin, which researchers still don't know all of the details as to what effect it has on humans and pets. So not only are these uh, carnivorous, cannibalistic hammerhead worms, but they may be toxic to humans and pets as well. (laughs) Man, that is that checks off all of the boxes right there. So there you go. Uh, I just want to make sure that you're aware of all of the things that we should be worried about <laughs> heading into a new week. And so there you go. Those are uh, some of the most interesting and buzzworthy stories to get your Monday morning started. WFIN News. I'm Matt Demchek. The WTOL 11 first alert forecast, partly to mostly cloudy today with a high of 81, a chance of showers tonight, a low of 69. The United Way of Hancock County's Fall Days of Caring service event gets underway today. CEO Angela Dabosky says this is the first time the United Way will have held two Days of Caring in one year. Holding a second Fall Day of Caring enables us to provide additional support to our local nonprofits when they need it most. An added benefit is that volunteers who may have been interested in helping in the spring but couldn't now have that option to give. 
She said last year, because of the pandemic, they moved their May event to September, and the fall event was very well received. The fall event this year will run today through Wednesday. Get more details on our website. Ohio Attorney General Dave Yost and 23 other Republican state attorneys general are telling President Biden to drop the COVID-19 vaccination and testing mandate for companies or they'll sue. Yost issued a statement that said in part, quote, I am vaccinated, but the president didn't force me to, nor should anyone else be required by federal executive edict, end quote. The AG's letter says it may drive workers from the job market and increase skepticism of vaccines. On September 9th, Biden announced new rules requiring businesses with at least 100 employees to mandate vaccination or weekly testing. Daniel Barnett, ONN News. Meantime, the Findlay-Hancock County Public Library has been handing out a lot of free COVID testing kits the last few weeks as cases have surged. Always feel free to call ahead um, to check if we have them so you can come in and pick them up. Or we can always do curbside pickup uh, to reserve kits for you if we've got them day of. And if we've run out, we'll be able to tell you that over the phone as well to save you a trip. The library's Joel Manti says the Ohio Department of Health has been good with restocking them with kits on the few occasions that they've run out. But as he said, he recommends calling ahead to make sure they have them in stock. A Finley company that says it's leading the industrial decarbonization revolution welcomed a class from the University of Finley to check out their operation. During their visit to One Energy, the students toured the wind turbine component yard, getting an up-close look at wind energy to supplement the class's discussion on different types of electricity generation. Matt Demchek with 1330 WFIN and 95.5 FM. Our cover story this morning, last week the Ohio Redistricting Commission approved, strictly along party lines, new maps for representation in the state legislature that critics say are weighted toward keeping and even strengthening Republicans' control of the state legislative body. They have threatened legal action in response. State Representative John Cross joins us now. Uh, Ms. Cross, you said on Facebook that these are more than fair maps and that we must move forward. Clearly not everyone agrees. Why do you believe that these maps are, in your words, more than fair? Well, good morning, Chris. It's good to be with you. Yeah, I, you know, I think the uh, the map making process obviously is never easy, and uh, the reason why I think the maps are pretty fair is looking at the uh, Democrat maps. You know, the lines that they drew, uh, particularly in the rural districts, had us really kind of all over the place, <laughs> literally all over the map. And, uh, you know, I, I, and looking at the map, it, it's pretty consistent. It seems that counties are well-connected, communities are well-connected. You could probably draw maps to your blue in the face, and uh, no one's going to be happy. But sure. I think, uh, I think they, they did a really good job within the time constraints. I think people have to remember, too, the census data was very much delayed, and I, and I thought they uh, did a good job as fast as they could to put together within the constitutional time frame to, to put maps together. Assuming that these new maps survive a legal challenge, and we'll set that aside for now because that is all just speculation at this point, and it would be unfair to ask for you to comment on speculation. I I, I feel like I should know this already, but when when do they take effect? When would the new maps take effect? Is it the first of the year? Yeah, that's a great question. The maps will take effect uh, for the uh, – it'll be part of the election process, this, this uh, 2022 election process. But the maps, I guess, will technically take effect when those legislators take office in 2023. Okay. So, for instance, so for instance, uh, the maps have changed a little bit for our district. So I will continue 
to represent the 83rd district, uh, the, re- the remaining part of this general assembly, which would be until December of 2022. And then I'm running for re-election for my third term now in the 85th district. Yeah. So, so sadly, uh, I'll be losing Hancock County uh, as part of the of where my district has been drawn. Mm-hmm. But uh, I'll still be. Re- you don't get rid of me that fast. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say because it actually puts uh, you among those uh, representatives and those in the in the state legislature in a, an interesting position. And this always happens when the lines are redrawn. Uh, you would fall into a different house district based on your residency and would no no longer uh, represent Hancock County. That's right. Hardin County is now drawn into the 85th district, which is all of Hardin, all of Logan, and all of Champaign. So our district. For the first time in a long time, 41 years I've been alive, uh, our district seems to move more of a, uh, a west-central versus northwest uh, Ohio position. Mm-hmm. And I'll be a part of the 12th Senate District, which is President Matt Huffman's Senate District, no longer part of Rob McCauley. What they did, Chris, is they actually uh, drew a new district for part of Hancock County, Putnam County, and part of Wyandotte County. Hancock County is actually split. They have four or five northern townships of hancock county will Mm -hmm. go up to Derek barron's district what i've understood from the map makers is basically wood county has somewhat caused this phenomenon in northwest ohio because wood county has had one of the most population growth uh, and so therefore could no longer be a standalone county district and that's why there's wood county is now split and uh hancock county is a little split yeah is based on population growth what makes it even more interesting in your case for you specifically is that there will now be two incumbent representatives in the 85th district, yourself and Nino Vitale of Urbana, both from the same party and ideologically very similar. Well, it actually changes a little bit, Chris, because Nino's term limited, so he could no longer run again. Okay. Uh, so there, so uh, it's a good question, good observation, but... Nino's term limited, and and really what they try to do is really not put people against incumbents against each other. And so, for instance, this case, Nino's district is going to be chopped up a little differently. Mm-hmm. He's no longer running for office, and so I guess in theory, I would I would be the incumbent now for the eighty fifth district. Yeah, uh, and because as we said, uh, Mr. Vitale is the you know same party again, ideologically pretty similar. Uh, you must feel fairly comfortable uh, moving into that area and, and being able to resonate with those voters, just in terms of for yourself looking forward. I do. You know, legislative lines don't. Uh, necessarily dictate who I am and what I represent. I I believe I try to represent the best values and principles uh, of Northwest and and West Central Ohio. Obviously, I'm a Republican, a conservative, and represent those party principles the best I can, uh, which is, you know, in in this district, 70 to 73 percent of the population. But, you know, overall, uh, it, I, it's, I have mixed emotions. I am extremely sad that I'm going to be losing Hancock County. I hope the voters and the constituents of the county uh, appreciated uh, the work and dedication. We'll continue to do that. But the good news is, even though that district will change, I'm going to still continue to help Hancock County. I have so many friendships and relationships. I hope that uh, 
you'll still feel uh, uh, happy to call and we'll have great conversations <laughs> because, uh, you know, we, we shouldn't let borders uh, uh, necessarily end friendship, so to speak. Well, and, and again, you one of the things that you uh, stated uh, upon the release of these maps, uh, you pointed out you remain committed to serving the people of the 83rd District for the time being that you will continue to represent the uh, 83rd District. But during this time of transition, obviously you're going to have to start to get to know the people of the new district and campaigning sure. there as well. So you're going to be stretched somewhat thin over the next uh, year or so. Yeah, well, that's certainly uh certainly a um, a good challenge and uh, something i'm not afraid to do and i think what people know about me and what what they know about hancock county being a boy from hardin county is uh how much they appreciate me being there and working hard and 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 hustling and i think a little hustle is in in our blood in the cross family blood and and uh again you know i i appreciate uh, Hancock County allowing someone from Hardin County to serve them in their best interest. And we got a lot done. I mean, we brought, uh, you know, a lot of money back to the district. We've made some really important votes. We've helped a lot of folks locally, mm-hmm. local government, schools. Um, I'm certainly proud of the things that we've got accomplished for the district. And I'm looking forward to helping be a good mentor to whoever decides to run for that seat. I think this what? is going to be an open seat. So for all those listening, if you've ever wanted to serve in public service, now is the opportunity to think about doing that, particularly for this for this uh, region. And that's I, I wanted to bring that up and, and just kind of a, a postscript on this, because uh, as I was looking at the map, if I'm looking at this correctly, it appears that the eighty the the new eighty third district will uh, include Upper Sandusky, which is uh, where eighty seventh district representative Rodan McLean uh, is. Uh, resides uh yep. he he incidentally received his mba from the university of finley so not unfamiliar with hancock county himself uh what can you tell us about representative mcclain well he's uh from what i understand i think he is drawn uh his i i, uh, I, I could be wrong on this chris but it's my understanding that this is an open seat and that okay. representative reared mcclain is actually lines are drawn where he would be on the other side of that Wyandotte County okay. line. So on the other it's side. My understanding. Because yeah, Wyandotte so County my, is another one that's split. Correct. Wyandotte split. And it's kind of new. I mean, I think this is an interesting district for Hancock County. This is the first time I can remember Putnam County and part of Wyandotte County, which includes Upper Sandusky, being part of the district. So, yeah. you know, um, I look forward to, you know, supporting and endorsing a good candidate that shares the same values that I do. And, and uh you know, we'll, we'll double check the lines to make sure, but I'm I'm pretty confident when the map maker okay. uh, spoke to me about it, it's an open seat. All right. Well, we'll, we'll uh, look forward to uh, seeing how that all plays out moving forward. Again, uh, State Representative John Cross with us this morning. John, thanks very much for taking the time. We appreciate it. Thanks, Chris. You remember a couple of weeks ago, President Biden announced his intention to launch a a vaccine booster program to enhance protection against the coronavirus. But on Friday, the FDA broke with the White House by approving only a narrow segment of the population for those boosters. Joining us this morning to discuss this mixed messaging on booster shots is Dr. Bill Coase, Blanchard Valley Health System, who has been kind of our go-to local medical expert through all of this. Dr. Coase, this is only going to add to the confusion, and indeed, uh, I am told that uh, you've been fielding lots of calls at BVHS from uh, people asking what this is all about and what they should do. Is that right? 
Uh, correct, Chris. I think, uh, and as you put it, uh, it's just intensified the confusion, frustration of the public as exactly what's going on, the mistrust that has been out there. Mm-hmm. Some of that probably political has just made this, okay, what is really going on? Uh, what's the data showing, et cetera. But we have been fielding questions, a lot of people asking about that. And the point has been made that booster or no booster, the most important aspect of the vaccination regimen is to get people vaccinated in the first place. Would we have been better served to not even bring up the issue of boosters until we got to that 75% or whatever that sufficient level of vaccination is to protect the community in the first place? I mean, I guess I'm wondering, are we kind of putting the cart before the horse on this? Well, I think you're exactly right, Chris. Um, that the biggest thing was to get to what has been called since we <clears throat> originally got into COVID. We need to flatten the curve. It was PPE or personal protective uh, devices at that mm-hmm. time. We didn't really have any treatment. We didn't know exactly what was going on. And the savior was going to be vaccines. Vaccines have been shown to be really effective. You may still get it. I mean, 90% is pretty good. Uh, in addition to that, though, the data is showing that people that are vaccinated don't get admitted to the hospital as often. They don't get as sick. They're right. not on ventilators. They don't go to the ICU. And statistically, they don't die. But what I think happened, I think it was at, at least, well, whatever term you want to use, political, that there was a feeling that this is going to be something that will get people, again, looking at this, that maybe they'll get their first vaccination. Mm-hmm. Those that have been vaccinated will need a booster. The data just really, apparently, from what the FDA said and what I've read, wasn't out there to say that the booster is needed now. It is still being protective after the eight months or whatever. Yeah. But the biggest thing is it ended up causing an awful lot of confusion. And I use the word mistrust. Yeah. Uh, Dr. Fauci said uh, something interesting on Meet the Press yesterday when he was asked about vaccinations for those who have already had COVID-19. And the question was, is a two-shot vaccination and a booster necessary for those who have had the virus and thus have some level of natural immunity? And his response response basically was we don't know it is something we're still studying and again this seems to only be feeding into the belief by some that this is still a giant experiment and we're all just guinea pigs on this yeah that that's exactly i think the way it could be interpreted that's not the way science works from a standpoint at least theoretical and what this would be data driven so Mm -hmm. have those individuals that have had covid in addition to being vaccinated, or even if they've only had COVID themselves, an early studies seem to say that the immunity that you got with COVID, the natural disease, wasn't as good as with the vaccinations. But the problem is, and is that somebody that may have had COVID didn't have a big viral antigen load, so they didn't get a lot of it. Just like people get influenza, some don't don't get as sick as others. Some of it's because of their own immune system. So it's so hard to, to sort those out empirically, looking at what the data shows to say, well, categorically, if you had the COVID vaccination, this is going to happen. And now, in addition, if you had the COVID virus itself, this is going to happen. 
one, we don't really have the greatest, it's not the greatest data, just just think about it. Okay, there's been 10,000 cases of, of a population. Well, how sick were they trying to find those kind of things out? Mm-hmm. And that's what I think it's made it really difficult. Yeah. The FDA came down and just said, doesn't look like we have enough data to say you shouldn't do that. But then, which was, I think, interesting I don't want to say politically because it wasn't political, but when they came out with a second vote to say if you are above 65, if you are immunosuppressed, which theoretically would make sense, a booster makes uh, it makes good sense. It's yeah. something that we ought to do. And again, I think that just added the confusion to an already polarized population mm-hmm. about this issue that. Uh, I think where you started, we'd just been better off not to set anything about boosters until there was really a decision we need to do that. Yeah. Um, On the local front, as we know, schools in the area have made masks and many of the other mitigation practices optional this year. And at least one district reportedly is not even enforcing the federal mask mandate on school buses. On Thursday, the teachers union for the Findlay City Schools issued a statement to the Courier expressing concern over this policy. Do you share that concern? And given the fact that nearly one in five of the active cases in Hancock County are now reportedly reportedly school-aged children, should the boards of education in Findlay and elsewhere re-examine those policies? Well, my opinion from a standpoint of taking what we should do with the disease would be we should continue to social distance, to mask, to wash our hands, respiratory etiquette as much as we can. But that is being said, again, trying to define this, I don't want to say scientifically, mm-hmm. giving the vaccines a chance to work. Now, if vaccines are, and hopefully are going to come out for children, that they're going to be able to get vaccinated, we would be flattening the curve. We'd be trying to get our immunity from vaccines. Mm-hmm. If an individual is not going to get vaccinated, sooner or later, they're going to get COVID. Yeah. And so looking at this, it, it just makes sense. But if you went back the same, let's say, theory of what we were thinking from previous administration, this administration, the science people was, boy, once we get to the vaccine, we're going to be able to back off of this because people are going to have immunity. Mm-hmm. You get a vaccine, you're not going to have immunity. Yeah. I, I'm concerned we may go through this again next year if we don't get more people vaccinated. Now, it may be that they're going to get natural immunity. We we did over our weekend here, you mentioned locally, we saw fall cases. We still have about 24, 25, which is down from 30. And maybe we've passed that wave of Labor Day and kids getting back in school mm-hmm. and that sort of thing. But I am worried about children the children's hospitals across the country are just jammed with individuals yeah. with COVID. Uh, there was some encouraging news uh, this morning. It has come out that uh, mm-hmm. uh, apparently the data is in, or at least some of the data is uh, in, on the efficacy and safety of vaccines in younger children. So perhaps some movement uh, on those uh, preteens that to this point are not eligible for the vaccine. So stay tuned on that. Circling back to the question of boosters, we had the story last week about people who have been getting a booster by simply going into the pharmacy and saying that they haven't gotten the vaccine in order to get a third shot. And and I guess that's not really something that you can prevent people from doing, but given that there appears to be 
ample supply anyway. Why shouldn't people do that if they want or feel they need a booster? Uh, I can't disagree with that, Chris, <laughs> from a standpoint um, of if if it is needed, it as far as I can see, no one has said that the booster is contraindicated. You should not get it. It's going to cause a problem or anything like that. Mm-hmm. Now, we, we set up rules and an expectation, I guess, ethically, morally, that people are going to follow those. But from a standpoint of could that occur, does it occur, is it going to cause any problem? And the point that you make in going back and looking at this six, eight months ago, we didn't have enough vaccine. Right. That would have been a problem. Now there's plenty of vaccine unless you start thinking about we really do need to do something globally, not just as our country, but mm-hmm. as the world, right. because this is going to just keep popping up other places. But as long as it's there, I can see why people do that. Yeah. Uh, and it is important to note that when we're talking about the boosters, this is only right now, as I understand it, this is only right now for the Pfizer vaccine, which is so far the only one to receive full FDA approval. What is the message to those who got the Moderna or the single-shot Johnson & Johnson vaccine? Well, I would say just looking at data at a high level, I think you're still pretty well protected. I'm not sure this eight-month. I Again, I'm trying to I look at what the FDA said. I think the other will be after they look at data, if boosters are needed or it appears that a lot of people are getting it that were vaccinated earlier, that we'll start seeing data coming in that would indicate that the others also will will not need but will be able to get their uh, booster with whatever uh, whichever one of the shots they got the first time does it matter on the booster uh whether you know which vaccine you got initially i mean if you got the moderna vaccine uh is it a concern do you have to have the moderna booster ultimately or uh is is mixing them uh an issue or do do we not know yet I, I don't think we could say we really do know. My okay. personal opinion is I don't think it's going to make that much difference, mm-hmm. just like uh, we have different other vaccines made by different places. Right. Now, theoretically, right. again, the mRNA is a different kind of a vaccine, but still your body is going to respond mm-hmm. to whatever vaccine you would be given. So I don't, I don't think personally least what i can read that that's going to be a problem yeah again dr bill coe's blanchard valley health system uh with us kind of uh, sort out some of the confusion uh surrounding the question of uh boosters and the continuing effort to uh, vaccinate americans get to that uh, level of protection that we uh, that we need so that we don't have to talk about all of this <laughs> anymore uh we will continue to follow the story obviously dr coe's thanks very much for taking the time we appreciate it you're welcome, Chris. And I don't know that I help with the confusion, but your one point is everybody should try to get vaccinated unless they have a real contraindication. That's the key. That's the uh, the bottom line at the end of the day. Uh, Dr. Coase, thanks yep. very much. Well, it was just a couple of weeks ago that uh, we were speaking with our next guest about the Findlay Race for the Cure. Gretchen Awad from Susan G. Komen, Northwest Ohio, 
is uh, back with us in the studio once again. And as we were just uh, mentioning before we went on the air, uh, it just demonstrates how quickly things can change these days. It does change quickly. We're grateful to our community for for being flexible. (laughs) Yeah. Unfortunately, uh, the uh, Findlay Race for the Cure will not be an in-person event. Uh, That was the plan all along. And uh, despite the best laid plans things do change quickly it was heartbreaking to accept but you know first and foremost the health of our um, vulnerable guests patients in treatment post-treatment that Mm -hmm. is most important to us yeah and and that's one of the things when we had you here the last time we talked about is that you you definitely have to consider the fact that uh, a big uh, chunk of the individuals are participating in the race for the cure are immunocompromised and so special considerations have to be so even though it's an an outdoor event mm-hmm. and and even though the Toledo uh, race will be going uh, still be going off in person uh, the unique dynamics of the Finley event made that not the best idea it was the unique dynamics and we've said all along the Finley race happens because our community works together to make that happen so it's a community decision and our you know we need to be able to host the event mm-hmm. in the most um, appropriate space and unfortunately in Finley that just didn't work this year Toledo however allows for a larger footprint it does have a larger footprint so right. it allows for so- social distancing which mm-hmm. just changes the dynamic of the entire thing sure so. uh and and it's not held on a on a healthcare campus <laughs> so correct. You know, obviously there's correct. there's that and yes. and so uh, how will the Finley race happen then? Give us uh, all of the updated details. Sure, sure. Well, the Finley race, make no mistake, it is still happening. Mm-hmm. So all of our wonderful guests and all the every community member who's rallied around the race this year is still invited to participate virtually. We will have a nine in the morning kickoff event. We invite everyone to join our Facebook group page, Toledo and Finley Race for the Cure. So you'll get lots of information on there. Still doing packet pickup, so no worries. We want you to get your t-shirt. We want you to celebrate. We want you to send those photos in. So come on over to Dave's Running on Tiffin Avenue this Thursday and Friday from 2 to 6 on both days. If you haven't registered, we invite you to. If you've already registered, come get your beautiful t-shirt. And if you are so inclined and would like to participate in a race event, this year we are going to allow our Finley guests to come join us in Toledo and uh, it is Saturday, or excuse me, Sunday morning, the next day, mm-hmm. just a little further north, and we are one Coleman. So our Toledo committee um, uh, could feel the pain of the Finley committee, and we open uh, our Finley guests with wi- arms wide open and invite you to come participate. Our friends at Dave's Running are going to make that easy. If you've registered in Finley, you are also registered in Toledo, so oh, come on up. Okay, so yes. uh, you don't have uh, no additional steps uh, for no, that. Adi- no, just okay. come join us. So making it uh, making it easy because I know that there are actually over the years there have been uh, people who do the double. Right, so. we have yes, yeah, some of those. Uh, crazy runners who love to do two races. Uh, I have yet to do one, but uh, I love uh, celebrating you who can do two. But usually they register for both. But this year we say to our Finley friends, no need to register again. Just come join us. So uh, again, if you have already registered, you can still pick up the uh, the packets we and want you you know, to. all of yes. the goodies yes. and, and all of that yes. and then participate in a uh, virtual In way. the virtual event. Send us your photos. Uh, videos. We want to celebrate and cheer you on however you are most comfortable to celebrate Race for the Cure, whether it's in your own neighborhood um, or with your personal family and friends or in Toledo. 
however you want to celebrate. And as we have mentioned, bears repeating, uh, this all benefits uh, Susan G. Komen, Northwest Ohio, and talk a little bit about what those uh, funds, because really the, the Race for the Cure, as we were saying before, twofold. There are yes. two missions, obviously to raise awareness, mm-hmm. um, but also to raise funds. And that money is used for what? You know, thank you for bringing this up because it is so important. While it's a wonderful day to celebrate, it's a fundraising event for mm-hmm. women and men with little or no resources. That's the bottom line. And anything Komen to do, can do to bridge that gap and provide research, uh, action, um, community, education, Getting women and men removing every single barrier we can, whether it's financial or any other like life circumstance um, that would prevent uh, treatment for breast cancer. So, um, you know, uh, while we um, love everyone to come out and celebrate, it's those dollars that make the difference. And we are one Komen and we need to uh, make sure that Komen is reaching every single person who needs our services. And that is what we are so, so blessed, lucky, and privileged to do on race day. So, so important, even though the race is not happening as a physical in-person event in Findlay this year, uh, to not just drop it and no. uh, and say, oh, no, throw up your hands, oh, it's not happening. Uh, participate if you can on the uh, on the virtual side. Please. Go to Toledo and uh, and and join in the fun there. However, you do like both. you can do both uh, <laughs> absolutely because it's uh, it made it easy to do so. But it is so very uh, important to uh, uh, to do and hopefully. Again, it sounds like deja vu all over again. <laughs> Hopefully next year, we'll be able to uh, to right. get back uh, into the swing of things right. here in town. Who knew? But thank you again for allowing me to spread this message. And thank you to our Finley and friends for supporting. So again, uh, to uh, hit the important things, the uh, pickup for the uh, uh, welcome packets yep. uh, are is Thursday, right? T-shirt and all those goodies. Thursday and Friday, Dave's running okay. on Tiffany Avenue from 2 to 6, both and, days. And then the uh, virtual Race for the Cure in Finley is this Saturday. Correct. All right. Uh, we've got a link up on our webpage for more, and still time to register of course, uh, as well. Of course, so yes. We've got the link up on our webpage, so you can check that out, goodmornings.net. Again, Gretchen Awad, Susan G. Komen in Northwest Ohio. Thanks very much for dropping by. We Thank appreciate you. It. We interrupt this program to bring you a broken news alert. Today's update on the odd and unusual side of the news brought to you as a public service, more or less, of Hancock County Veteran Services. Residents of one small Colorado town are pleading for the return of a stolen phone booth. <laughs> no, I've I've heard of uh, some unusual thefts uh, over the years in the uh, broken news. We've featured uh, a number of unusual thefts, but this uh, is certainly one that I never would have guessed we'd ever have to report on. A stolen phone booth. And apparently this has been the centerpiece of of a public park uh, there in uh, Colorado, in uh, uh, Cope, Colorado, for decades has been the centerpiece of the park, a phone booth. (laughs) Well, it's a very small town. They don't have a whole lot to be excited about, apparently. (laughs) Uh, Residents Vicki Cecil and Lanny Payne said the phone booth was a major landmark in the town of about 56 people for some 50 years. The booth, in its functioning years, originally sat outside of a Conoco gas station, but later became an ornamental feature of Memorial Park when the gas station closed. <laughs> this whole story is just just weirdly uh, in, in, engrossing here. 
Um, so the so the gas station closes. What do we do with the phone booth? We can't. We've got to keep the phone booth. So they put it in the park. Um, the resident said the booth did not have phone service, but often drew travelers who would pose for photos. <laughs> and then we never really hooked it up because the cost is you know everybody's got their their cell phones today, and people don't need phone booths. But we wanted to keep the phone booth as sort of a landmark. Mr. Payne is president of the Cope Recreation Club, <laughs> which I don't know the whole idea of a recreation club in a, in a, in a town whose centerpiece attraction is a phone booth. <laughs> Strikes me as kind of an, an odd thing to have a, a recreation club. But uh, Mr. Payne is the president of the Cope Recreation Club as residents... Uh, said the theft has been reported to the Washington County Sheriff's Office. It was just kind of a novelty, and it's just sad that someone would take our little phone booth, he said. We thought that was a significant piece of our town's history. Well, here's hoping that they can track down the phone booth thief and uh, that they can get the phone booth back where it belongs. <laughs> okay, then. I'm not sure exactly where this happened because this is, oh, here it is. Uh, Norton, Massachusetts is the dateline on this story. Norton, Massachusetts. Um, Robbie Rocco uh, owns the Boneheads Barbershop in Norton. And uh, he had a bizarre situation happen the other day. He shared this on the social media. Said an angry mother burst into his business and threatened to sue him because she didn't like her son's haircut. Uh, The woman claimed that the haircut was too short. Now, Mr. Rocco says in the video that he gave the 17-year-old the exact haircut that the young man wanted. The the kid was happy with the haircut. Mom comes in, bursts in, and threatens to sue because she did not like the haircut. The barber said the boy wanted a high and tight, and... uh, he told him, hey, that's uh, really short, but uh, the boy reassured him that that's what he wanted, sat quietly through the cut, and even tipped him when he was through. So clearly, he was satisfied. 20 minutes later, uh, enter mom. Uh, after the woman bursts into the location and says she's going to sue, she then called 911, and uh, <laughs> police actually responded they were reportedly rather annoyed that they had to respond to the call but they chatted with the woman for about 15 minutes before asking mr rocco his side of the story the officers then apologized for the situation with the barber saying that he shook their hands thanked them and watched them go on their merry way no further updates about the threatened pending lawsuit (laughs) i don't know if mom's name was karen or not but Definitely one of those that you're about threatened to sue because the haircut was too short, which is a little unusual. About that. Not like it was a bizarre haircut, just a standard high and tight, you know. Here's a uh, great story from the animal world. A goat uh, is sort of the goat, as in greatest of all time, after mowing down a predatory hawk. This is a a video. I saw the video on this is on the dodo. A Dutch farmer was going about his normal farmer business when he heard a racket erupt 
uh, near his uh, chicken coop. He said that a hawk decided to dive bomb one of his chickens, but little did the hawk know that the chicken had backup. According to uh, video footage, the moment the hawk strikes and wrestles around with the chicken, feathers go flying. The struggle didn't last long because a rooster rushes up into the battle, throws himself into the fray, and if that wasn't enough, a big brown goat charges up from behind and starts to headbutt the hawk until it flies away empty-handed or empty-clawed, as the case may be. A story of heroism has a happier ending as uh, the uh, farmer confirmed that the hen did survive the attack. So, <laughs> It's an awesome video. The hawk comes down and all of a sudden all of his barnyard friends, all of her barnyard friends comes to the hen's rescue and the hawk flies off wondering what the heck just happened. And finally, in the uh, broken news this morning, sometimes high school kids and the police team up to do some great stuff. Uh, Back to the state of Colorado, in Boulder, Colorado, the police department recently posted on Facebook about how some high school students came to the assistance of an animal protection officer when a herd of goats got loose from a city park. (laughs) Again, another animal story. Animals are always fun. Uh, Apparently, the goats are being used to get rid of weeds at Harlow Platters Park when they got loose on Thursday. Officers responded with a park ranger and attempted to round up the goats. And they say that a group of high schoolers who happened to be in the area came to their assistance to help corral and leash up the animals and return them uh, to their uh, rightful owners. So (laughs) happy ending all the way around. Kudos to those kids. There you go. Uh, Some of the odd and unusual side of the news here. Today's update on the broken news brought to you as a public service, more or less, of Hancock County Veterans Services. We now return you to your regularly scheduled programming. WFIN says thank you for listening. And remember, you can listen around the clock on computer, smartphone, or tablet. Start your day with Chris Oaks and good mornings. And stay with us all day long. You also get CBS Sports Radio plus all of our locally originated sports programming. Listen live whenever you like at 1330 WFIN, 95.5 FM, and at WFIN.com. Where you can also grab our free mobile apps for iOS or Android. And now your daily download, the numbers behind the news and the statistics that shape our lives. You remember last week we told you about that new poll from the University of Pennsylvania's Annenberg Public Policy Center shows Americans have gotten a better understanding about their government of late. 56% of those polled could name all three branches of government, the executive the legislative and the judicial, uh, that is a 15-year high up from 33%, just 33% in 2006. But there is, obviously, room for improvement. The same survey finds that uh, 74% of Americans know that the First Amendment protects our freedom of speech. But just 56% also know that that same First Amendment protects freedom of religion. Only 50% know that it includes freedom of the press. 30% uh, recognize that uh, the First Amendment gives Americans the right to assemble. And 20% uh, are aware that the First Amendment shields Americans' right to petition the government for redress of grievances. 61% of those polled incorrectly believe that the First Amendment gives uh, rights to unrestricted free speech within non-government entities, for example, social media, 
First Amendment doesn't cover social media. They're free to regulate or prohibit what is posted on their platforms. It's only government uh, restricting your free speech that the First Amendment protects you from. Annenberg poll also revealed that the public really needs to get a better understanding of their elected representatives. Um, just 35% correctly said that a U.S. senator serves for six years, and only 36% knew that a congressperson representative serves for two years. Well, after spending the better part of the past year and a half in our PJs, it is time to get dressed again now that life is slowly getting back to normal. And joining us this morning with some of her favorite fall fashion trends is the founder of the lifestyle blog Viva Fashion, Carmen Ordonez, for Stitch Fix. And Carmen, this is a great way to uh, easily refresh your wardrobe, which might seem a bit overwhelming since it has been so long since we've really had to think much about this. <laughs> yes, Chris, thank you so much for having me. You know, first of all, I really believe that personal style is unique to each of us, and it's a really great way to express ourselves. But for many of us, uh, you know, shopping online can be a bit frustrating. You know, just the, the thought of having to refresh your wardrobe can be challenging sure. for some. Um, you know, in fact, a recent survey found that 70% of Americans wish that their online shopping experience could be more tailored and personalized to their needs. So that's really where Stitch Fix comes in. You know, I'm so excited to be talking with you today because they recently announced the launch of Stitch Fix Freestyle. So this is marking the first time ever that anyone can shop directly from Stitch Fix. So with Stitch Fix Freestyle, the way that it works is clients are shown their own selection of items that are curated to match their personal style, fit, as well as size preferences. Basically, your freestyle shop is as unique as you are, and no two shops are alike. So through this brand new way of shopping online, you'll be able to instantly shop more than a 1,000 of your favorite brands and styles, including the North Face, Madewell, Club Monaco, one of my personal favorites. Plus, the inventory is always refreshing throughout the day, so you're always going to discover something that you love. So what this is doing is it's saving you so much time from doing that endless scroll. You know, sometimes I could spend hours of shopping online trying to find something um, that I like. So mm -hmm. this way, they're basically just showing you everything that is going to fit your personal style, you know, as well as your size preference and fit. Well, one of the other things is that, you know, you're, you're shopping, especially when you're shopping online, but even in the store, you know, you find one thing that you like and then trying to find something that pairs with it and uh, completes an ensemble or, you know, completes a look uh, then is next to impossible. So, and, and this does all of it for you. Exactly. So it does, you know, it lets you shop on your own. It's going to show you things that, that you know you might like you could shop by categories so for example you can shop if you're looking for workwear you can shop in the workwear category okay athleisure casual style so they have different categories and departments so you could shop on your own but then they also have um for example if i go on my freestyle shop they have you know say carmen's looks and then they have outfit recommendations as well so yeah. different inspirations so if they put an outfit together that I love, I could instantly buy it or I could buy, you know, let's say I like the pants with the shirt, but I already have the shoes at home, you know, I can instantly shop on my own. So yeah. that's the great thing about it. Okay. So uh, when does this launch? Is this available now? Uh, and and how, yes. do folks, how do folks sign up for this? I mean, what's the process? 
It is. It's so exciting. It's available now. So the way that it works is, you know, each person's Stitch Fix freestyle shop is curated based on a brief visual quiz. So you're going to take a brief visual quiz and then the service is going to refine your fit as well as your style recommendations the more you shop. So for new clients, all you have to do is simply head to the Stitch Fix website or mobile app and then you're going to answer a few short questions about your style preferences. So once you're logged in, you're going to click on freestyle at the top of the page and there you're going to be able to explore all the exciting new features, you know, what we talked about, the different categories. You can also easily buy items again. So let's say you, you know, you bought a sweater, you loved it, but now you want it in a different color because I don't know about you, sometimes if I find something that I love, I need it in every single color. So you're going to be able <laughs> to easily do that as well. And if you already have an account, all you have to do is log in and then go to freestyle at the top of the page and instantly start shopping. I mean, it's as simple as that. But what I love the most is that shipping and returns, they're always free. There's no minimum order required and no subscription required. So you can start enjoying this right now. Terrific stuff. Now, uh, speaking of fall fashion, this is the time of year. And of course, as we said, it's been a while since many of us have had to really give much thought to this. What are some of your favorite fall trends that you are seeing? Yeah, so one of the biggest trends we're seeing this fall and one of my personal favorites, especially since I have two little ones at home, so I love to be comfortable. I didn't want to get rid of, you know, the pajama pants just yet, but now we're seeing uh, work leisure. So think, you know, pants with elastic waistbands, drawstring pants, um, but they're more polished, more polished look. Um, for example, you can look for a blazer, but in a soft stretchy fabric. So it's that comfortable construction in polished pieces. So you're going to look great, but you're still going to be comfortable as well. Really interesting the way the pandemic has kind of uh, <laughs> impacted or influenced uh, uh, style moving forward. Kind of, uh, kind of cool stuff there. Again, uh, Carmen Ordonez is with us. She is uh, the founder of the lifestyle blog at Viva Fashion. And again, uh, mention where we can uh, learn more about uh, Stitch Fix and, and, and the uh, freestyle uh, yeah. way of shopping. Well, to experience Stitch Fix Freestyle and discover your very own shop of personalized style recommendations, you can head on over to stitchfix.com. We'll link it up on our webpage as well. Carmen, thanks very much. Thank you, Chris. Thank you for having me. And that will wrap up our podcast for today. Thanks to all of our guests for joining us on the program. As always, remember you can get more information about all of the topics that we talk about each day on the show at our webpage, and that is goodmornings.net. Coming up tomorrow, a job fair for seniors. 50 North and Ohio Meads Jobs are connecting experienced workers with local companies who want to hire them for full-time, part-time, or seasonal positions. We'll give you all the details. Until tomorrow morning, that is good mornings for this morning. Now that you've had a good morning, go on out and make it a good day. We'll catch you back here tomorrow. Tomorrow.